Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. I want to read two passages of scripture up front today that's going to be a foundational and a springboard into what I'm going to communicate on behalf of the Lord today. Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8 and 9. Exodus 25 verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. I want to preach a message today simply titled, The Tabernacle, as we continue moving forward in this series, Meeting Places. Meeting Places. Let me pray. Father, I thank You that because of Jesus, all things have changed. We thank You, Lord, that we now have a new covenant, a better covenant that we have a new life available. We have forgiveness and peace. The power to be transformed. We thank You that because of Jesus, Your kingdom, the ability to come under Your rule and reign and to experience Your good pleasure in our life can happen. And because of Jesus, we thank You that demons and principalities and unclean spirits that seek to deceive and oppress lie that they're defeated. And the blood of Jesus says better things than those lying, speaking voices and spirits. And so we celebrate you, King Jesus. And I yield to you, Holy Spirit, and ask you to manifest Christ in hearts and minds and in our midst today, that we would know the Father deeply. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen. You know, if you have been here for many months or years, maybe by now you have done the great work and have memorized our core values, or if you are new, maybe you've not taken the time to look on our webpage or learn them, but we have eight core values, and they all start with M's. And when I think about today and we look at the tabernacle, I think about how several of these core values come into play. How the message today speaks to and reiterates these values that God has given us scripturally, but also here locally in this community. Uh, For instance, maturity journey is one of our core values that we are called in Jesus Christ to a journey and the main purpose of that journey is to mature in Him. Another is maintaining focus, that there's so much to look to, there's so many channels to search through, there's 49,527,000 possible things you could watch on Netflix, Uh, that there's a lot of things you can focus on, but we're called to maintain focus on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Another is molding the foundations of many generations, that there is a design, there is a mold that God has given to help prepare 
for young men and young women to become men and women in the faith. That there is memorable moments as we follow Jesus. That as we follow Jesus, there are moments that become memorable. Memorable above other seasons of life. There are moments that we just encounter the working of God in a special way and we forever are changed by them. And it's on those M's today I want to think about as we look now to Exodus 24. As we begin to look at texts surrounding our main text that I read of this story of how God prepares and molds a man, another M, by the way, Moses. And uh, he sends Moses back to a context and a place that he grew up in. Yet now he's unlearned from all of what he grew up in. And now he is prepared by God to tell Pharaoh to release the nation of Israel. And God, through mighty judgments, the ten plagues, brings them out of Egypt and begins to speak and prepare them for this new community, this new nation that God desires, this new people. And in Exodus 24 and 3 it says, So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. Now oftentimes in the text of a context now in America, we hear the word judgment, we think of it in a negative light. But judgment is not just negative. Judgment is also positive judgments. Judgments just mean standards, ordinances, decrees. Truth is a judgment. And so judgments should be our best friend. In fact, Scripture says that God is known in the judgments that He gives. In the laws, in the decrees, in the ordinances God gives, He is known. But it's not the only way He's known. Then it says, And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. Verse 4. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar. Someone say, built an altar at the foot of the mountain in twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in the basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people and they said, All that the Lord hath said we will do and be obedient. Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Then in Exodus 25 and verse 1 it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. Someone say, with his heart. You shall take my offering. Three key phrases in this passage that I just read is says Moses built an altar. There we see the altar. And then the people responded after hearing the words of the Lord through Moses. All that the Lord has said we will do. And then it says willing with his or her heart. Here we see themes that Pastor Craig kicked us off wonderfully last week in this series that we spoke about, that he ministered on. We see the theme of the altar. We see the theme of the heart. The reality is, is that when God starts a work, He starts there. He starts at the heart. He starts at the altar. But the amazing thing is, is God doesn't end there. 
that though God's work starts with the heart and God's work starts with the altar, God still has more in mind. Can I tell you today that God still has more in mind for your life? He still has more in mind for your home. He still has more in mind for this church. That there still is more in the mind and heart of God for you and I in His plan. So it starts with the altar. It starts with the heart. It starts with the willing heart and a desire to obey the Lord and, and, and give our heart and honor Him with our heart. But it doesn't end there. God has more planned. And this brings us to the tabernacle. See, God has designed for us to encounter Him in another pattern, sacred place. The heart is a pattern, sacred place. The altar is a pattern, sacred place. But there's another pattern, sacred place that God has designed for you and I to encounter Him, to know Him through, and that's the tabernacle. Let's talk about the tabernacle. This brings us to our main text that we read up front, Exodus 25 and 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. The Hebrew word there for sanctuary means sacred place. God desires not just our heart and not just an altar as a sacred place, but He desires that there would be a sanctuary, a tabernacle, a sacred place. Why? That He might dwell among us. The purpose of this sacred place, the purpose of the tabernacle, is that God may dwell among them. Here we see the intent of God. Here we see the nature of God. That God didn't create you and I and humanity to be a distant God. He didn't want to remain distant from our journey. He didn't want to remain distant from our seasons. He didn't want to remain distant from our struggles. He, he didn't want to make, remain distant from our hurts. He didn't want to remain distant from our questions. He didn't want to remain distant from the seasons of our life. He wants to dwell right among us and with us on the journey. And so here we see also the heart of God behind the design of God. Of why, you know, the sun doesn't just wake up each morning and have the volition to just do whatever it wants and then things go well. That the moon and the stars don't just moment to moment get to decide what they're going to do and things go well. That behind all of God's creation and behind the design of God's creation is motivated with the intent. It's because He wants to dwell among us. That's His desire. So it starts with an altar. It starts with a willing heart, but it doesn't end there. God desires another type of sacred place that He may dwell among us. And notice, just like the heart has a pattern, if you go and study how God has designed the heart and there's a pattern to its function, notice that God says there's a pattern also to this sacred place. That there is a pattern to the tabernacle that I want you to make and there is a pattern to all the furnishings of the tabernacle. Part of this speaks to that God has a pattern to what constitutes marriage. Humans don't get to determine and design the pattern for what constitutes a marriage. God has a pattern and has designed a pattern of what it takes to raise up godly seed. There is a pattern for our dwelling places and for our homes. There is a pattern that God has given in preparing us to be ready 
as a human being to start a new home and to leave the place of our upbringing. So many things that we see in happening in the world around us is because of rejection of the design of God. And God, of course, has given humans the ability to reject His design, but He has not given us the ability to reject His design and things still go well. And so now you have people that are growing up in life and they're getting older in life, but they identify as a dog. They identify as an animal. Why does this happen? Because when you reject the pattern and the design of God for a home and what a home takes to prepare godly seed that would move forward in His purpose, things go bad. And you say, why does it matter? Because as a human goes bad, then a home goes bad. And when a home goes bad, a neighborhood goes bad. And when a city goes bad, a region goes bad. And when a region goes bad, a nation goes bad. And when a nation goes bad, the whole world begins to shake in chaos because of the rejection of the pattern of God that was intended that He might dwell among us. And if you have hesitation or fear about God dwelling amongst His creation and people, then you need to understand that where God is able to dwell fully and what it means to dwell in heaven, there is no injustice. There is no sickness. There is no poverty. There is no rape. There is no oppression. There is no dysfunction. And so the reason we should want God to dwell here is that it removes all the wrongs. It rights every wrong. It heals every brokenness. It calls dead things to come alive to get. Oh, I'm talking about a great God that's given a great design because He desires great things for our life that He may dwell among us. And if I can't preach you happy today, well then at least the least I'll do is I'll preach myself happy today in God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name. And so, concerning the tabernacle, God continues in Exodus 29 and verse 43. Follow along here with me. Exodus 29 and 43. And there I will meet with the children of Israel. Because we're not just talking about a journey today. We're going to go on a little journey. All right? And the goal is to make it to the last point and put it all together. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Notice here, God speaks again about this tabernacle of meeting. And what is the purpose of this tabernacle? That He would meet with the children of Israel. God's purpose is that He would meet with us. God's purpose is not that we would just think about God, that we would just pontificate about God, that we would just write and, and establish doctrine about God, but that we would meet with God. That was God's desire. See, we must not just like the idea of God. We must meet with God. Too long in Western Christianity, in the Western world, we have people that just like the idea of God. But what God is after is He's not after us just liking the idea of God. He wants to meet with us. He wants us to encounter His glory. He wants us to encounter Him. Notice again that God says, There I will meet with the children 
of Israel. And if some of you got that lying spirit, that spirit of insecurity that's tormenting your life for so long, let me just go ahead and speak the blood of Jesus to you and to it. Because notice it says, not just meet with some of the children of Israel. God doesn't just want some of the people here to encounter Him. That encountering God is not just for certain ones among the brethren. No, God desires every one of us here and everyone listening to my voice online to encounter God. It's not just a special group of followers of Jesus. No, God wants to meet with every one of His children. Hallelujah. And everyone means you, it means me, it means all of us. So notice God's intent behind this pattern, this tabernacle that He says make for me. It's that He would meet with us and dwell with us. To meet and to dwell. And what would be one of the results? It says this, did you see it? That they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of Egypt. That's what He said. Now this is interesting because what God's saying is is the intent is that I would meet with you all, I would meet with you, and I would dwell with you that you may know. This is knowing by encounter. This is knowing by experience. This is knowing by our senses. This is experientially knowing God. Why is this important? Because think about it. Use your imagination. You would think that all the children of Israel here, the 12 tribes that have been brought out of Egypt, you would think that by living through the 10 plagues that God sent into Egypt, that that would have caused them to know God. But obviously it didn't. Because here the 10 plagues are finished, the children of Israel are out of Egypt, and God says, hey, I have another pattern. We've talked about the heart. We've talked about the altar. But now I want you to make this pattern called the tabernacle because I want to encounter you in another way. And it's through this type of encounter that you will know me. What he's saying is, is you don't know me all the ways I want you to know me. You've not encountered me all the ways that you've encountered me. God says, I intend so much more. So much more. This brings us then to the reality of presence versus present encounter with the presence. Let me explain. There is a marked and distinct and very important distinguishing reality between the presence of God and a present encounter with the presence of God. Too many in the West who even attend church but our analytical type have hidden too long under the theology of God's omnipresence. Too many hide under the reality of what Scripture says of God being everywhere. And they hide under that because they say, well, God's everywhere. And therefore, that relieves them from the pattern of what God says, no, I want you to build for me. I want you to build a place where we can meet together, where we can dwell together and you can know me in a deeper way. What God is saying is, is I don't want you just to know I'm everywhere. 
I want you to know by an encounter and experience, I'm meeting right there with you. I'm dwelling right there with you. In your pain, in your season, in your struggle, in your journey, I'm still meeting with you. I'm dwelling with you. God wants you to know by your senses and by your experience that He is dwelling with you in this. He is meeting with you through this. That He is with you. Give me time to explain. There's a difference between God's omnipresence and meeting with God. There's a difference between His omnipresence and encountering His presence. Think to the story of Jacob in Genesis 28. God's presence is everywhere. We accept that. We believe that. But you can't hide under that what God is saying. I got more for you. And Jacob is going through life and he comes to a place that he names in the moment after the encounter Bethel. Before that it was called Luz. And he says, surely the Lord, watch this, is in this place, and I did not know it. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. See, if God being everywhere is the same as a person surely knowing it, then why are there agnostics? Why are there atheists who don't even say they believe in God or are unwilling to confess there is a God, much less believe that His presence is right around them. Think about what Scripture records when God gave the law to Moses in Exodus 18. It says God came down on the mountain and the mountain quaked. And smoke began to arise because the mountain began to come on fire. Why? Because God is a consuming fire, Scripture says. When God's encountering presence came down, the mountain shook. The mountain smoked. God is a consuming fire, but not necessarily a fire that consumes. God had challenged Moses with that in the, with the burning bush scenario that Maybe he wasn't alarmed that the bush caught on fire, but what he was alarmed about is that it wasn't consumed. And so here we see God is a consuming fire, but He's not necessarily a fire that consumes, a fire that damages, a fire that kills or destroys, but He's got a fire that actually heals, that actually makes whole, that actually delivers. Hallelujah. The psalmist said that mountains, because of this Exodus 18 story, mountains melt like wax in His presence. So if His presence is everywhere, then why are there still mountains? Because the omnipresence of God is distinct and different than the revealed, encountering, manifested presence of God. There's a great difference between God's omnipresence and His encountering revealed presence. Look at Exodus 33 and verse 7. It says, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. Now this is, this is interesting. I'll preach about this one day. It's not today. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So this is before they built the tabernacle that God commanded them to build. This is before it's built. Moses takes his tent and he goes away from the people and outside the camp and he pitches his tent 
and he says, this is the tabernacle of meeting. Everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, then all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. Notice this statement. Everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting. A reality is, it's the same today. Not every child of God actually seeks the Lord. They might be the Lord's, and might be in the Lord's, and might be in the Lord's house, and might be a child of God, but not every child of His seeks the Lord. And just like we see in this passage, those that sought the Lord, they went outside the camp, to the tabernacle of meeting. And it said that the pillar of cloud would descend and it, it would stand at the door of the tabernacle. And then the text says, the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people, even those in camp, they would see the pillar of cloud. Each man in his tent door would see it. What's taking place? God here is... What was his original intent of why to build a tabernacle? That he would meet with them. God here is trying to get every man in every tent and every house to understand that what was happening with Moses' tent, he wanted to happen with their tent. That just as Moses was meeting with God and God was dwelling with Moses, that God wanted to do that with every household, with every tent, with every person. That just as God talked with Moses, God wanted to talk to every one of the children of Israel. Now, of course, sure, God would talk about different things to Moses because we all have different gifts, we have different callings, we have different roles to play. Moses, of course, was a leader, a shepherd in the children of Israel. But though that God would talk to them about different things, the main point is the main point. God desires to talk with every one of His children in their tent, in their homes. See, to have a sacred space, not just the altar of the heart, but also the place of their dwelling. For you and I to know God deeper, to know God in a deeper way that He wants for us to encounter and experience Him, we have to move just beyond our heart and our altar and individual worship of Him to understand that He wants our tent, He wants our dwelling place, He wants our home to also be a sacred place to encounter His manifested, revealed presence and power. So many skip this. So many want to go to week three or week four of the Meeting Places series and skip over week two. But the reason we have week W-E-A-K, not W-E-E-K. But the reason we have weak local churches in Western Christianity is because so many skip over the pattern of the tabernacle. That to get strong local churches, you got to get people who, yes, have the altar and the heart, but then who encounter and meet with God in their tent, in their home that it becomes a sacred place. 
that their tent, their home, would also become a sacred space to meet and encounter God. Listen, hearts and homes would be a dwelling place of God. That's God's intent. That hearts and homes would be a dwelling place of God. Notice again, not everyone did that. Not everyone sought the Lord. Here's the exhortation, though, of God's design. Makes it clear that altars and hearts are not enough for the journey ahead. Listen to me. For all that God intends for His people, if just altars and hearts was enough, then He wouldn't have gave the pattern of the tabernacle. What He's saying is, is for every follower of Jesus, there's going to be enough seasons, enough trials, enough things that the shepherd's going to allow or lead you through that just having the altar of your heart and, and, and the willingness of heart is not enough. You also need a sacred space in your home to meet and encounter with God. There's going to be too many weights. There's going to be too many trials. There's going to be too many distractions for just the heart and the altar to be enough. you got to have a tent. you got to have a, a sacred place of your home to also meet with God and to experience God. Continues on in Exodus 40 and verse 36. It says, whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward. So this is now the tabernacle has been built. And it says, whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is interesting. First thing I want to make mention of is there's a distinct difference between the temple and the tabernacle. And a distinct difference is the tabernacle is mobile. The tabernacle is mobile. It can be taken down, packed up for the journey, and then arrive at a new destination, unpack it, reset it up at the next stage of the journey. See, what does this mean? It means for you and I today, the tabernacle relates and speaks to us deeply about transitions along the journey of following Jesus. The tabernacle relates and teaches us regarding moves. I was thinking as I was preparing this just about the moves of Michelle and I since we got married, that we've lived in two countries, two states, and in six houses. That's a lot of packing up, unpacking, setting up, and then doing it again. The fact of the matter is, is you and I as we follow Jesus don't know how many transitions of jobs there'll be. How many transitions in the same city of homes you'll live in. The Mossgroves might be up for another home in Woodstock. I mean, they, they, love, they love packing up, setting up. They might, they might just move to the next house next to their existing house just because they have learned the pattern of the tabernacle. Here's the point. The tabernacle teaches all of us there are things from God that must be packed up and carried with you in the moves. That in the transitions of life, in the move from one neighborhood to the next neighborhood, in the move from one job to the next job, the tabernacle teaches us that there are things that must be packed up and carried with you in the move. 
and reset up in the new place. There are things of God that are being reset up in our lives after each transition. You can't let go of some things that God taught you. You can't let go of the things that the pattern of the tabernacle speaks with. You can't reach a place in your life where you can let go that the tabernacle is still to be a sacred place of meeting with God. You still need a place in your tent, in your home, that recognizes God wants to meet with me here. God wants me to know Him here. That what God has for me in knowing Him is bigger than just my heart and bigger than just an altar and includes the tent and the place that I dwell. Hallelujah. So let's talk about this journey because did you see there at the end of the passage in Exodus 40 that I just read in verse 38 it said, throughout all their journeys with an S. That means, yeah, it's one overall journey of following Jesus, but in the one overall following of journey, there's many individual journeys. There's many stop and rest and stop and unpack and set up the tabernacle and, and pack up and go. There's many journeys in the one journey. Many transitions. There's transitions of seasons of life. There's transitions from being a newlywed to then having children. There's transitions from your children being little ones to, to then being youth. There's transitions to then empty nests. There's transitions of jobs. There's all types. And all of this, the, the pattern of the tabernacle speaks to. And what do we see? That God showed us in the type of how He led the nation of Israel that they did not transition or move or go forward in any major decision unless that pillar of cloud by day or that fire by night moved first. Unless the Lord led and moved, they did not move. This is important because as followers of Jesus, we have confessed that Jesus is Lord of our life. And a practical application of that is as we no longer are lords on where we live, on when we make major transitions, on where God wants to put you in your job, of what field that He's called you to, that you are now the Lord's body and He will lead and guide His people and He wants us to hear His voice if we understand that in our tent, in our home, the pattern of the tabernacle is He wants to meet with us there and speak with us there. So we see this. God did not allow the nation of Israel to make major transitions or moves without the Lord moving, without the Lord leading. The pattern of the tabernacle represents something for us in our entire journey, in every season of the journey. In Exodus 23 and verse 29 and 30, God tells them beforehand on this journey, He says, listen, I will not drive out the enemies, those that oppose the promises that I have for you and the place that I have for you and the promised land that I'm leading you to. I will not drive them out from before you in one year. Least the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. God says, listen, on this journey, there's going to be times where there's going to be enemies, things that oppose where I'm taking you, what I've promised to you. And I'm not going to deal with all those in the first season, on the first leg of the journey. But little by little, I'm going to drive them out. What this speaks to is the known and the unknown. The tabernacle speaks to the known and the unknowns of life. The known is... On the journey, there's the pattern of the tabernacle. Whether they were in a new stage, in a new phase of the journey, 
the pattern of the tabernacle remained the same. They took it down the same. They set it up the same. That is a known of God. That where you dwell, where you live, your tent, God wants to meet with you there. He wants to meet with you in prayer there. He wants to talk to you there. He wants you to encounter Him there. He wants worship to ascend from your tent and your home to Him. And He wants His presence to fill your home and, and to meet with you there. That is a known. It is a known that God desires to meet with you regardless of where you're at on the stage and phase of the journey. Another known is we currently are not where God ultimately intends for us to be. So what that means for this church, what that means for your home, is you've not reached, we've not reached all that God intends for us. That there is more. There's more. That's a known. God tells them, you're not into the promised land yet. You've not experienced all that I can do for you yet. You don't know me in all the ways that you can know me. You've not apprehended by experience all that I've apprehended in Christ for you. Another known is, there are enemies that though defeated must be faced, resisted and driven out. That's a known. God tells them beforehand, listen, I'm going to lead you and you're not going to move unless I move and you're going to follow me and you're going to camp out when I camp out. But on this, there's going to come places that I lead you to and there's going to be enemies there that you're going to have to get them driven out though they're already defeated. Here's another known. The Lord dictates the stages of the journey He's called us to. You can't dictate your maturity because you can't mature in Christ without Christ. So when the Lord begins to deal with us and the Lord begins to lead us to deal with something in our home or whatever, that's the Lord saying, hey, I'm the Lord of the journey. Another known is when the encountering presence of God moves, we move. But when it doesn't, watch this, we set up camp. We don't move when He doesn't move. Here's the unknowns though. How long will each stage of the journey be? <laughs> because Lord, if we're going to be at this stage not too long, then I know we got to get out all the pattern of the furnishings for the pattern of your tabernacle, but I'm not going to unpack every box in my tent. If we're not going to be at this stage long, then I'm going to unpack the necessities, but I'm going to leave a lot of it packed up in the garage. But the God doesn't tell us those specifics. He don't tell you how long you'll be at each job. He don't tell you how long you'll be at each stage of the journey. That's an unknown. Another unknown is, how will God specifically meet our needs during the journey? He didn't tell them from the beginning, hey, on this journey, I'm leading you through a desert, by the way, and at every stage of the desert, you're going to need water, and you're going to need food, and you're going to need X, Y, and Z. He didn't give them all those specifics. So an unknown for you and I is, how will God meet all our needs? Here's another unknown. When will God move supernaturally? You can get up every morning anxious, fretful, or maybe for some of you, hopeful. And you can look out above the pattern of the tabernacle and say, nope, fire's still there. We camped out another day. We don't know the answer. When will God have us move forward? That's an unknown. And it led me as I thought about it and put myself in their position, it led me to the question, what do you do? What about when you have been camped in the same place? For a long time. What do you do? Well, this brings us to where we've been going the whole journey of this sermon. Lastly, in the senses. I want to read three passages of Scripture, explain it, tie it all together, and speak to all of our hearts and minds by the work and grace in Jesus Christ. Exodus 24, verse 9. 
Then Moses went up. Also Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw, someone say saw, the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire, stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. Someone say clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and drank. Exodus 24 verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing, someone say hearing, of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. Then Exodus 40 and 38. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle. Keys, you can come on was above the tabernacle by day and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Let me talk about in the census for a minute. When you look at those three texts, you find out that in this moment of the journey, what God was showing in the pattern of the tabernacle, He makes it clear. Notice it says they saw God. Guess what that's called? The sense of sight, your eyes. It says they ate and drank. Guess what that's called? Taste. The mouth says in the hearing. Guess what you got? The sense of hearing in the ears. It said fire by night. Guess what that is? Feeling. They felt heat and the warmth. Cloud by day. Guess what that is? They felt the shade and the cooling effect of the cloud by day. Guess what else? They smelled an aroma every day coming off that altar as a sacrifice was being presented. Here, everywhere around them, God was saying that on the journey, when you face being camped out in a long time, I want to remain in your senses. That God is saying, listen, I know you think about yourself oftentimes higher than you actually are. I I know if you wrote your own report card, it'd be A++ every time. But God knows us. He knows our frailty. He knows the effects of sin upon us. He knows how we wait and how well we don't wait. And what God is saying is the pattern of the tabernacle is when you're waiting long in a stage, waiting for God to move supernaturally again, for God to move us forward again, that you got to keep God in your senses. God is saying, listen, I know you think that you're great, but I know you, and so I've made a way through the pattern of the tabernacle to keep me in your senses when things are routine, when things are day after day, when the dishes got to be washed day after day, when you got to do the laundry day after day, when you got to go and draw water day after day, when you got to go get sticks for a fire of your tent day after day, when you're in the routine, what do you do to not keep it just to be routine? God is saying, keep me in your senses, that I want to encounter you in the senses, that there's a way to know me in the senses, not where I'm a distant God, but I'm a God right there up in your taste. That's why Scripture says, taste and see. That's why Jesus said there's an aroma of life. That's why the Bible says that we are to see Him who is risen, that we are to keep God in the senses. Keep God in the senses. We got to get up, go about work, go about the daily work, daily chores eat and drink, go to bed and get up and do it all again. God's saying, keep me in your senses. That's the pattern of the tabernacle. Keep me in your senses. 
that yes, things might be routine, things might be boring, but if you'll keep me in your senses, you'll encounter me and I will be your joy. I will be your excitement when the things around you ain't excitement. When you're longing to move, but I'm not moving supernaturally, keep me in your senses. God wants us to encounter Him in our senses. God created us as emotional beings. He wants us to experience Him in our emotive, in our emotions. God wants us to be able in these times to feel Him, to feel His power, to feel His tangible anointing. That same anointing that healed my ear when it was messed up. All that same anointing, that power that broke me and weeped and healed me from wounds in childhood. That when you're in the routine, God wants us to know Him in our senses. Not just a God we pontificate and ponder about, but a God that we experience in our senses. The tabernacle was a pattern of keeping God in your senses during the journey. Did you see it? It said that when they Moses and them went, that they saw God, and it watched as it said there was a paved work under His feet. One of the things we do in the pattern of the tabernacle is when things are routine, when we're not able to move forward yet and we're waiting on God, we see the paved work, the finished work of Jesus Christ. We maintain focus that in Christ Jesus, the good works and the things that He has ahead of us, He's already done in Christ. We see the paved work. We see the finished work. The pattern of the tabernacle, it says that there was clarity under His feet. Watch this. God is clear on the stages of the journey, even if it's unclear to us. They saw God and they ate and drank. The tabernacle is the pattern of seeing God even as we eat and drink. Yes, we've been camped out in the same season. Yes, we've been camped out in the same routine. Yes, we've been camped out waiting for the supernatural move of God to move us forward. But the pattern of the tabernacle is on this journey. You're going to need to learn and have it in your life that when you're waiting, when things ain't going, when God's saying don't go yet, when God's saying I'm not moving yet, and you're in the routine, that as we see God, we keep God in our senses as we eat and drink. See, the tabernacle is the reality we can experience God even in the mundane, even in the routine, even in the waiting for God's next clear moving in direction. We can experience God. I know we, you, like me, think of ourselves as being able to obey God, to wait on God without encountering His presence in our senses, but the pattern of the tabernacle instructs us differently. God's saying, you need to encounter me in your senses in such routine times and seasons. See, there's settlers and seekers. Come on, worship team. There's settlers and seekers. Settlers, listen, settlers love when things are camped out. They love the routine. They know. They love what to be able to expect in the home, expect in the season, expect in the schedule. They are settled. And they are happy and they're fine with that. But there are seekers. There are seekers of adventures. There are people that are more wired to have an itch, waiting on the next move of God, the next supernatural. There are settlers and seekers. And what God says is, listen, the pattern of the tabernacle applies to both. That the settlers are going to have to understand that when God moves, it's time to pack it up and move forward. Move forward in that next thing of leadership. Move forward in that next area of service. you got to move forward. And to those 
who are seekers and adventurers, you got to understand when God's saying now's not the time, the season's not the time, you got to wait. You have to, as you eat and drink, keep seeing God and keep Him in your senses. See, watch this. Brother Lawrence, maybe you read the book, The Practice of the Presence of God. It's a great little book. But he was, of course, lived with all men and community of believers, and they the community assigned him to wash the dishes every day. And Brother Lawrence understood that, yeah, the sun came up new every morning, and the mercies of the Lord were new every morning, but his routine wasn't new every morning. He's going to have to wash the dishes day after day. And he learned that in the washing and in the doing the dishes, he could, in his senses, meet and encounter God. And that's what the pattern of the tabernacle speaks to. See, think about this. When things do not make sense, the tabernacle reminds us to keep God in our senses. Think about this. Scripture makes it clear that His love is a love that surpasses knowledge. His love is a love that surpasses pontificating and thinking about God loves me. It says His peace is a peace that surpasses knowledge. His peace is a peace that surpasses His pontificating and thinking about His peace. Just like His encountering presence surpasses the knowledge of God's omnipresence. It's a love that surpasses knowledge. It's a peace that surpasses knowledge. It's an encountering presence that surpasses religious Pharisee type just knowledge. God is telling us today that the pattern of the tabernacle speaks that in the routine God wants to meet with us and we need to keep God in our senses. We need to have experiential encounters with God that He uses to anchor and keep us in the mundane things of life while we're waiting for the supernatural go, supernatural move from God. So the pattern of the tabernacle teaches us many things. There will be enemies, but the finished, paved work of God is clear. They're defeated enemies. At the pattern of the tabernacle, as though the vision and the journey forward seems to tarry, God is clear and already accomplished a finished work to bring about what He spoke and has prepared. That in the paid work of Jesus, there is clarity. That in the paid work of Jesus, it is clear. And as we see God, and we see the paid finished work, the Holy Spirit can cause us, even while we're eating and drinking and doing the things that have to be done every day, to know God in our senses. There's an experiential God waiting for you. There's experiential, memorable moments in the Lord waiting for you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.